Hello and welcome back to JLXP, the fourth episode here from Korea at the World Championship. This week, I'm going to be talking about all four quarterfinals, previewing the semifinals a little bit. Emily Rand is going to be joining later in the episode. She arrived in Korea for the quarterfinals, was on the desk throughout the entire thing. Uh, I'm going to be going a little more in-depth on the Energy versus Weibo series. There's also going to be a lot of behind-the-scenes footage from that series uh, over on the LCS YouTube channel for the Let's Go series, as we have been doing every week. There is the Let's Go YouTube series on the LCS channel and the JLXP podcast here. So let's just get right into it and talk about the quarterfinals. So the way I'm going to structure this episode is I'm going to give quick thoughts on each of the quarterfinals and then go more in-depth once Emily joins the podcast. Starting with Thursday, Energy versus Weibo, the last Western team at the World Championship, I think hopes actually got a little bit too high, especially from every European caster that I was talking to. They were all like, yeah, I think Energy can do it. And I kept either thinking that they were trying to reverse jinx it or thinking that they were just trying to be overly positive because I was never super positive on this matchup. I always thought that if Energy played to their peak, they'd be able to beat Weibo, or if Weibo played to their floor, Energy would be able to win. But I would say Energy definitely kind of had the game you would expect them to have after they played so damn well against G2. Like, Contracts in the G2 series, I know it was a fair bit ago, but played two of the best games I think he's played in his entire career. And to expect Energy to just stay at that level would be completely unrealistic. I would say overall, people weren't overly cruel to energy or something. It's not like uh, the classic Western team getting swept and then everyone just dumps on them and says they've never been good. Luckily, that never happened. But I do want to quickly talk about kind of how I feel like the series went down. So I'd say in game one, energy had good champions for their matchup, but bad champions to win the game overall. So they had Senna Tom Kent bottom, they had Oriana mid, Viego jungle, Renekton top. All those things were capable of either sticking with what they were up against in lane or actually getting advantages in lane. However, the cohesion of actually starting team fights when your only forms of engage are like a Viego stun, a Renekton stun, or some just godlike Oriana ball that you somehow sneak onto the Aphelios Melio on the backline, which is never going to happen. Uh, there was no general, like, clear path for energy to win that game. So they stayed close pretty much the entire time. But then Weibo was just able to really control space later on in the game because their team fighting was just going to be a lot better. After the series, I know one of the energy players was saying that the Melio fifth pick for Weibo on support definitely threw them off a little bit. Not that range support should be that surprising, but I think with how dominant blue side was throughout all of the Swiss stage, red side, and specifically red side, to get support counterpick, to get bot lane prio, ended up being incredibly decisive, not only in the first series between Energy and Weibo, but throughout the entire, the entire quarterfinal week. So game one and two, Weibo picks Rel early in the draft on red side. They end up fifth picking Melio, and they end up getting pretty much free bot prio. By the time game three comes around, finally the Aphelios gets banned to kind of break up the Aphelios Melio that Weibo is doing, and they just slam a Caitlyn early 
because bot prio for me was by far the biggest thing that Weibo was trying to do in that series. And also, just a little bit of the gameplay. Every small fight did seem to go Weibo's way, which in the moment I was thinking, because, you know, I really wanted them to win. Damn, like, so unlucky. They're just losing all the little things. But <clears throat> that's also kind of how League of Legends works. Like, games are actually decided with level three skirmishes or with level one invades or with the first Rift Herald fight all the time. And that's where energy just wasn't executing on the day. So their world championship run will end. I think more generally though, just so it doesn't get lost in, you know, the history books, it is still such a huge accomplishment for energy to make it this far in the tournament, especially from where they came from and where these individual players came from. Palafox, Contract, Dokla in 2020 were all out of the LCS or even in amateur. And for them to stick it through, find their way onto CLG, grind together for two years, and then be not only the best North American team, but the best Western team at this world championship is so incredibly impressive. And as the off season news starts to trickle in throughout the world championship, uh, I do hope that we see more organizations try and construct rosters a little bit more like this. And I think a key to making that happen unironically is community reaction to roster signings of players who aren't big names. Because that stuff, as I talked about with DeMonte in last week's podcast, actually does matter. The narratives that get set early on for roster signings actually dictate future roster signings for teams. So the fact that Energy was able to do this without a superstar roster, with journeyman players, I hope has long-term impacts on the scene. And you can actually help this by throwing in Reddit comments, talking to orgs on Twitter and telling them, telling them what you want to see because this is, this is honestly what, what's worked. I'd say for Weibo, it's also very exciting for them. They were such an incredibly inconsistent team throughout the regular season. And on the day of the series, uh, I saw a Weibo fan truck outside and the ratio of the shy merch versus all other players had to be like eight to one. There was so much the shy stuff. Surprisingly little Shaohu stuff. He's been getting flamed a lot by the community, apparently. Something uh, I talked with Emily about during, during the analyst desk is, I don't wanna mess this up, but apparently the, the characters or the pronunciation of Shaohu can be modified just a little bit to mean delete account. So anytime he starts playing a little bit poorly, everyone on the forums, instead of calling him Shaohu, just calls him delete account, which can't be good for his mental. It, it really can't. But he is, I've said before, one of the best mid laners of all time, three-time MSI champion, seventh world championship, but just hasn't been able to get over the hump at world. So both the Shy being incredibly popular Winning Worlds the last time it was in Korea in 2018, falling short in 2019, and then really going through a whole journey to get back to where he is now. 
on Weibo, only two series away from the world championship, is going to be a really cool story to follow. Uh, he'll have to take down BLG and then the winner of JDG versus T1. So uh, they're definitely a, a long shot still. They are the number four seed from the LPL, but it's going to be a fun story to follow. Uh, would be more fun for me if it was the energy story, but every, every, every road has to come to an end eventually. And again, really amazing run by energy. It is not soured to me by the fact that they went 0-3. I would say game one, they actually played quite well. I don't think their composition necessarily had a way to close out the game. Game two, the level one invade really screwed them. When I watch it back, I do think they messed up in the moment. I don't think it was a pre-planning or an unlucky thing. They really should have been able to anticipate the REL engaging uh, onto contracts at the red buff after invading Raptors. That led to a whole bunch of snowball. And then game three, after you've lost two games in a row, you always want to switch something up because they'd done the same bands in the same first pick two games in a row. But then letting through the NAR, not first picking the Oriana. Turns out that was actually, you know, their bands in their first pick from the first two games were actually the correct thing because it went much worse than the third game and that ended up being the most lopsided thing. So farewell to energy. It's been, it's been a great world championship for you guys. Next series was G versus BLG. And this was a wild one. I believe 5.5% of pickums predicted BLG. Uh, but I, I, I can gloat a little bit because I did, I did favor them on the last podcast and I did actually predict them in my pickums. I, I went four for four on the quarterfinal predictions in the pickem, even though on the podcast, I said two of the matchups were 50, 50. I ended up, I ended up flipping heads correctly on the two 50, 50 matchups. Uh, and I want to, I'm going to go more in depth with Emily on this series, but I wanted to quickly just talk about Chovy. <sighs> he is such a good player, but I also understand why he gets criticized for not making it further at the world championship. Let me read this out. He has made, he has qualified for the last five world championships. He's considered by many to be one of the greatest mid laners of all time. I'd say within the LCK, he absolutely is. Even though he hasn't been on the best rosters always, he's pretty much always a top performer. He lanes probably better than any mid laner ever. And then he also has an incredibly wide champion pool. Yet at the World Championship in 2019, when he was on Griffin, he lost in quarterfinals to IG. In 2020, when he was on DRX, he lost in quarterfinals to Dom1. In 2021, he lost in quarterfinals to T1 when he was on Hanwha Life. Last year, he lost to DRX 3-1 in the semifinals despite being favored. And this year, he loses 3-2 to BLG in the quarterfinals. Now, this is currently seen as him underperforming on the international stage because if you're such a GOAT mid laner, why aren't you winning world championships? But no other player has actually made five world's bracket stages in a row. He's the only one ever. So I'd still say Chovy's very good. <laughs> I hope that the community, you know, choky narrative doesn't get to him too much. He's won three straight LCK titles. I think he's actually getting closer and closer to breaking through. We'll obviously see what happens next year. But one thing that I do want to see him do 
is more of what we saw in game three, four, five of the series and less of what we saw in games one and two. And what I mean by that is games one and two in the Gen G BLG series, uh, I think there were two Azir games. He played very passively. He farmed very well. And he was just kind of hoping that the game around him would work out. Games three, four, five, we saw, I believe, back-to-back Akali games in games four and five and a Yone game in game three. He really, really trusted his hands and his mechanics to take over the game. And I think that's the type of player he can be. And that's the type of player he needs to be if he wants to get further at Worlds because the pressure just gets so high. And if you're as good as Chovy, you can't just let the game around you give you good situations to succeed. You kind of have to make those situations. The one damning stat from this is of every single mid laner in the quarterfinals, Chovy had the lowest forward percentage at 13.2%. And for those of you who don't know that stat, it's the percentage of the laning phase. So between, you know, when minions meet to 14 minutes, that your champion is beyond the halfway point in the lane. So for only 13% of the lane, was he actually pushed up? The rest of the game, he was negative pressure. So that's not helping his team either, even if he's keeping his CS up. So that would need to improve for, for the next round. BOG, though, they're pretty damn clutch. Their story is actually really cool. Uh, I said last week that it was a bad matchup for Gen G, and I think it, it ended up being true. Their team fighting is super good. Bin dunked on Doran, and I think Bin versus the Shy is a really, really exciting matchup. Bin wasn't even old enough to play in a major league when the Shy won his world championship. I think Bin would have been 15. So. That's going to be really fun. The series on Saturday had the potential to be really fun. JDG versus KT. I actually thought this was a dark horse upset, especially after the BLG one, because uh, the break from being a top two team in Swiss to playing on stage in the quarterfinals, I think ended up being a slight disadvantage for both JDG and Genji. They both started their series with a loss, I think they both needed to adjust a little bit more to the meta developments that had happened. Uh, this, as I said before, this quarterfinals was so much more about red side. Red side went 11 and four. It was about bot lane counterpick. And I think for some of it, it, it felt a little bit like a team fighting meta, but then more and more, I think it became about bot lane prio and how strong your AD carry can get. So uh, aiming is actually an incredible AD carry. And KT is very good at getting aiming ahead, which could put Ruler in some difficult situations and did in some of the games. And I also thought JDG's potential weakness would have been from uh, not necessarily having a dominant early game in Swiss stage. They actually averaged a slight deficit across their five games in Swiss, but their team fighting is just robotically good. I'd say... Rulers Kaisa game four against KT when it looked like that series was going to go to a game five was maybe the best Kaisa game I've ever seen. And there's a few caveats to that. Like you can go 17 and zero on Kaisa and it's not a good Kaisa game compared to what Ruler did because you almost need like a special situation to be there in order to show how good you can play a champion. 
because he was frontlining on Kaisa. He was engaging on Kaisa. He was winning two V4s with him and Knight against the rest of KT when they're on Baron with Kaisa. Uh, just an absolutely unreal performance. And it keeps them the favorite at the world championship. And then going into Sunday, after what had happened in the previous three matchups, it was three LPL teams in the quarterfinals already. We have never had a single region control the entire semifinals. And we were absolutely feeling like that could happen because of the Gen G upset. And then also because JDG just fell short or KT just fell short against JDG, which weirdly set up T1 as this underdog, which made for an amazing story. I mean, T1 is the most popular team in the world. They have the most storied player ever, but they've also like never not made it to semifinals. So, and also because they play on T1, they are very used to high pressure situations. They just absolutely obliterated LNG. And it ended up being this catharsis for the fans who had watched the two previous Korean teams get eliminated to then watch their favorite team absolutely destroy LNG and give real hope for the semifinal coming up against JDG. A couple of stats that I sent out on Twitter for Faker that seem almost too crazy to be real is at the world championship, he's made it to eight world championships. He has now made it to semifinals every single time. And also at the world championship, he has never lost a best of five series to an LPL team. Now, that's a little strange because just this year, he lost two best of fives to the LPL at MSI. He lost to JDG 3-2 and he lost to BLG 3-1. In other previous MSIs, he's also lost to the LPL. He lost a final to them in 2022, I believe, and then also in 2015 MSI. So he's had, uh, he's had his struggles. Yeah, he lost in 19, 22, and 23 at MSI in best of fives. 19 was to EU, 22, 23, and 15 were to LPL teams, but specifically at the world championship, he's just been absolutely legendary. And if he would be able to make this run as Korea's last hope coming off of an injury, knowing that this T1 team that has been just aggregate, maybe the best team in the world across the last two years, just never quite getting over the hump, losing in finals, that they went four and 14 in the LCK summer split when Faker was out. Four and 14 in game score. They were one of the worst teams in the LCK without him to now looking like world beaters, uh, especially with Caria reaching back to his basically AD carry supports, you know, support Ash, uh, the, the Centilane that they pulled off as well was really impressive. So that's gonna be, that's gonna be a really great series. And th those are my somewhat quick thoughts on the four quarterfinals. And it's time to talk about the series with Emily. Welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Emily Rand. For those of you who don't know, full-time on the LCS, also former esports journalist of the year. Oh, God, worked yeah. with The Score, Yahoo Esports. W ESPN. Where, where else? Yeah. ESPN. Yeah. And also uh, probably watched more League of Legends this year than maybe anybody else? 
I feel like that can't be true. Have you talked about your sleep schedule publicly before? Yes. Can I, I can repeat it, again? it. So it's yeah. basically I I use a schedule of rotating naps because I'm on the LCS, right? Yeah. So I can't go like full I'm watching LPL, LCK live all the time. Mm-hmm. When they're overlapping, I choose like what series interests me more. So yeah. like unfortunately i'm a kt fan so like i'll prioritize yeah. their series but then also it's just whatever is a better matchup essentially and then i'll watch yeah. the vods later and then yeah i i nap and then i get for lcs but on a normal lcs day so like lpl i mean some days it'll start at like 10 p.m some days it'll start at, at 1 yeah PM. yeah sometimes it starts at like 11 it's it's anywhere between rather. like 11 to like 2 a.m when the start time for lpl LCK is right so you go home from and a work day yeah. on LCS at eight. Yeah. And then what? And then I eat food. And then? And then I watch League of Legends. But for how long? <laughs> uh, usually until like, I don't know, four or five in the morning. And then I nap and then I get up at like nine. Yeah. And then I take the train That's... to LCS. It always it always blows me away that you're able to keep up with, with all those regions at such a high level, which also makes you a perfect guest for this podcast because all we have are LPL and LCK teams left. True. Yeah. And this weekend we had, we had seven of eight. So I, I want to ask you first, like what was your, like what was your highlight moment of the weekend? Um, of this weekend, I'd say it was either the, you know, playing with vision around the Baron pit and then ruler just like absolutely popping off on Kaisa from JDG. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, we talk about how this team is so good at team fighting. They're so good at like setting up things and they're JDG, so good at, yeah. yeah, they're so good at working around cooldowns and like itemization, uh, like power spikes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you also not always forget, but like it, it's weirdly underrated the fact that their players are just really good mm-hmm. and can just have these like insane moments. So that was really cool to see. And then T1 coming back to form was amazing because. Um, obviously that was the most, that was the largest crowd we had for any, uh, quarterfinal. And then additionally, it was just such a cool moment to be there when T1 kind of found their footing, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to have Mm -hmm. them showcase such a dominant performance was really cool. And I don't know, it just felt like a good moment to be a part of because, um, you know, if they manage to do it, that's actually a really fascinating story given, a lot of things that happen immediately prior to them coming to the world championship. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about when your favorite team gets eliminated. In your case, either Energy or KT. Yeah. And for me at this world championship, it was Energy because I really wanted to see them go far. You then end up rooting for the best story. And T1 going the distance is probably the best story. Yeah. Uh, JDG, BLG rematch. I don't know if that's the best story. It would be if BLG wins. Or like the shy making it to the world final would also be a very cool story if he did it again in Korea. Yeah. Have you heard the joke from the Chinese community that's like, uh, I'm probably going to botch up the pronunciation, but it's the hometown that both Yagao and Knight are from. I think it's like Peishang okay. is the center of the League of Legends universe <laughs> because like, and so it's like, oh, it's really funny. It, initially, it was like, oh, it's cool because it's hype and they keep going up against each other. But now it's like, oh, God, not Yagao versus Knight again <laughs> for like the billionth time. And another, uh, I mean, at least this year it would be another Knight victory. I want to talk a bit about the the Energy Series first because you haven't gotten a chance on this podcast to talk about you know, more in-depth your thoughts on 
energy's journey and also what it would mean for the LCS. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want me to start right away with my like rant about the way people kind of view, because I feel like um, a lot of, there's a lot of weird, uh, like rigid thinking around like NA talent versus like imported players. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, NRG, I think the big thing that they showcase is not only a belief in their North American core, but also the ability to actually like give a team grace to make mistakes. Because Mm. I feel like the the difference in thought process, and you and I have talked about this a lot actually, because if you play with someone on the ladder, or like if I play with my friends, right? I know all of their behaviors. Like I know my one friend who's had five permaband accounts, I don't really wanna play League of Legends with him anymore because he just becomes (laughs) a completely different person when he plays. And like I have other friends who have like certain behaviors. I have certain behaviors when I play. So you tend to see the worst in like the people you're closest with sometimes mm. because you see all their mistakes. So like yeah. if also you're you get you get imprinted whatever your original impression of them was. Yeah. Like if there's a player that you beat up on in 2018, even today you'll be like, yeah, I'm better than that guy. Yeah, even like, if he beats you five times in a row, it's like, well, I beat him ten times back in 2018. Yeah, it's like, oh, that guy sucks. Like yeah. uh, I mean, my lateral time kicked his ass at this one specific point. So I think that happens a lot of North American players who are already in the league, and then you ask them like, oh, who do you want on your team? And then mm. it's like, oh, um, I've played against this person. I'm really familiar with them. They make all these mistakes. Mm. Um, And that's not technically incorrect, right? Because they probably are making those mistakes. But I think the really awesome thing about NRG is not just that they had the North American top side, uh, but it's that they actually gave these players a chance to grow and make the mistakes they made Mm -hmm. um, and improve from them. Because I feel like most North American native players are not given that on Mm -hmm. their teams a lot of times. Like, they're not allowed to make mistakes because they'll just get replaced. I agree. I mean, there were several games in 2022 when we were watching Contracts (laughs) sprint it. Just, he was playing, like, maybe the worst jungler in the league. And I was thinking, and I was even saying to you, like, maybe this is his last game. Like, because we've seen that story play out so many times. And then he had some of the best games possible. And then he had... A slightly, I'd say, below his average series against Weibo, which was was pretty disappointment. But on the day, how were you feeling about the vibe around energy? So I thought I, I predicted Weibo to win. Mm-hmm. Um, but Weibo are a really inconsistent team. I keep bringing up this thing that my friend Linda said about them, which is that they managed to snatch victory from the jaws of <laughs> defeat, but it's their own jaws that yeah. they're snatching it from and not their opponents. Um, I think... I was feeling like, quote unquote, good about NRG in that I did think that they would possibly be able to have a close series Mm -hmm. and kind of showcase a culmination of their improvement. I still didn't expect them to win that series only because I figured even with having been in Korea for a little, uh, a short amount of time now, I didn't think they had enough time to improve enough to the point where their like actual mechanical team fighting would be good mm. enough to beat mm-hmm. Weibo. Not that Weibo's 5v5s are like really, really good because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't give them credit for that either. But uh, I do think that their, their skirmishing and just a general LPL level of understanding how to team fight and how to skirmish is something that 
I feel like NRG and this group of players would love to learn, actually. Mm. Um, but with the limited amount of time, if you don't constantly practice against that, you're yep. just not going to get good enough. So, yeah, I I didn't think they were going to win. I was sad that it was a 3-0 only yeah. because I feel like in particular that first game, they're really going to want that one back. Yep, I think so as well. The game one, when they... I mean... Getting counterpick support bot with Melio both games, I think, really hurt them. But ultimately, I don't think there's a, a very clean way to stop that from happening because Ignar, throughout his entire career, has been better yeah. as a melee support. And then I think BLG, or sorry, Weibo just had a really good game plan against mm -hmm. them as well, which you don't necessarily think uh, is going to happen because Energy had such good draft plans, I feel like, throughout almost all of, all of the Swiss stage. But... The other thing that I think I talked to you about was I thought all the LEC casters were just like almost intentionally reverse jinxing us. Every single one of them was like, yeah, energy can totally do it. They're going to make it. I'm like, you're, you know what you're doing. Shocked <laughs> monologuing right before yeah. we were on. Oh, rip energy. Anyway, uh, I am still very, I don't want to say satisfied with the way they completed the year, but I'm still very grateful for what they did. Mm -hmm. And it is also not unexpected that they lost because the win that they had over G2 and making it this far is still such a meaningful step up. And if you're going to make progress, you generally don't skip that many steps. And I talked to DeMonte, I don't know if you, I told you this, mm -hmm. uh, their plan when they originally signed with COG, who knows what would have happened, you know, in the future with, with new ownership coming in. But the original plan was oh, we're going to make a run for Worlds in 2024. Oh, okay. So this was actually yeah. ahead of schedule for them. So we'll we'll see how much they're able to keep together. I hope they can keep together almost, you know, I hope they can keep together the entire roster and as many coaches as they can maintain. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it would be really cool just because of how much, and again, like um, on the LCS every week, especially with best of ones, we're just like yeah. the the yo-yo that they've kind of, performed like where mm -hmm. we're like are they good are they not good like what's wrong with them um and to see them turn it on late in the season i think if you look at it holistically from last year to now yeah. the improvement of this team like including the roster changes obviously uh has been really really impressive what's funny is i guarantee you by the start of spring split even if they keep all five players and their entire coaching staff we're going to be putting Cloud9 as the yep, number one team for yep. the power rankings. I can, I can see it happen already. No matter yeah. what, they just can't get it. And then Christian's going to come to like film something <laughs> with us. And he's going to be like, come on, guys, what do we have to do? <laughs> yeah. Although he does have a lot of respect for JoJo, if the JoJo to Cloud9 rumors are true. But let's let's get back to Worlds. Uh, they lost to Weibo. Weibo's still st there. I talked to you a little bit about the Weibo truck, but I got some more of the shy stuff. And see. Every time, so, like, I've been trying to go out to those trucks and get, as you know, like, I've been trying to go out to the trucks and get merch, mm -hmm. for like, fan merch, just to have on the desk from both teams. Yeah. And even going, like, an hour ahead, I can't find anything. Like, we went for JDG, and yeah. all of their stuff was gone. Really? Yeah. And then we couldn't find KT. Well... <laughs> Do they which, not have the fan merch? Which is, made is it just me the sad. Chinese teams that are bringing the fan merch? No, because I saw like a ton of T1 stuff. Right. But that's, you see that in the streets here. Yeah. Um, and I saw some KT stuff like from fans inside. Yeah. I just don't know where they got it <laughs> from. 
Um, but you're the telling shy. me that he's, because it was like 80-10 for the shy merchandise. Yes. You're telling me how popular he is uh, in the LPL. He's insanely popular, yeah. Compared to the rest of the team? Yeah, uh, I would say so, because, yeah, the only other two players, it's weird because, like, Crisp has had a really rough year, mm -hmm. but I felt like he was kind of gaining popularity um, when he was on FPX because people thought he was good-looking. Mm. And so they were, like, comparing him to uh, an idol. Um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, the Shy has been such an LPL staple. So it's, like, it's not only fans, but it's, I know so many other top laners, like, 369 has talked about this, Bin has talked about this, mm -hmm. how they feel like he changed the way the LPL top lane was played because mm -hmm. then you really had to do all of these things, like, uh, like how you contested the wave and like how you were playing lane specifically. Yeah. Um, I know like now Bin is kind of the quintessential like, you know, I'm contesting the wave maybe mm -hmm. before minions even hit. Like I'm going to play the super, super aggressive. It doesn't matter if I miss CS, if I can harass you off of it. So I still hit level two first, like yeah. that kind of thing, especially on the jacks. Obviously, you don't credit the shy for that specifically, but like that kind of attitude towards mm -hmm. top and leaning. Um, I think the shy really inspired a lot of younger players in the LPL, uh, yeah. like younger top laners to kind of try and surpass him. And so it's not just the, it's like, obviously he has a massive fandom, but then also yeah. other players are like, oh, we'd love to, we want to play like the shy, which is really funny. It's an interesting dynamic because he was the first player, you know, him, rookie, the rest of the IG team back in 2018 to like win a world championship for the LPL. But he he's a Korean top laner in the LPL mm -hmm. who has had more influence on LPL top laners than he has necessarily LCK top laners. Yeah, I think, I think LCK top laners still look at him, especially now with the LPL top laners kind of out, because outside of Zeus, and I thought Keen performed really well, like we'll get to that mm -hmm. series, I'm mm -hmm. sure. But like mm -hmm. in terms of overall perception, outside of Zeus, they're like, I feel like people are like, oh yeah, LPL tops are, they're the aggressive ones. They're yeah. the ones who are, mm -hmm. who are just going to be playing, especially in lane, like really, really um, aggressively. Yeah. Um, I know, I don't think Summit credits the Shy because Summit was also like this in the LCK. <laughs> so you can kind of see that influence there as well. But yeah, I think, uh, I think it is interesting because you have like him, you have Rookie, and then you have, Joinby and both Joinby and the Shy have never played in right, LCK. In LCK. Yeah. They've spent their entire careers in China. Yeah. So that allows like a almost a stronger attachment to the fandom. Cause when you think of Joinby, you think, okay, oh, yeah, he's that LPL Chinese streamer, basically, yeah. but uh and, and former world champion. Really quickly, Weibo in the regular season versus Weibo now. Because <laughs> They snatch defeat from the jaws of victory and it's their own jaws. Uh, <laughs> you have you have the LPL team slogans. They they are born to win. Did you know that, Chad? <laughs> they are born to win. That is their actual team slogan. They were like the sixth place team for most of the LPL split. This is like a little bit of a Cinderella run. Has a little bit of the same energy as DRX last year. I feel like if people are now going to ascribe like a DRX to everything, they are the most like DRX like team in mm -hmm. terms of expectations because yeah. people who watch them in the LPL, um, the really frustrating thing about Weibo is 
initially, I know I told you this on desk, like they're supposed to be this super team, right? Like they were supposed to come in and do yeah. really, really well. And they've just been super inconsistent. So if you look at the names and you also look at some of the individual plays and some of the um, team plays they can have, you're like, wow, this team yeah. could be like Their ceiling could be here. so high. Uh, and then sometimes they play like they're like down here. <laughs> so it's like, okay. They have not, they have yet to show any sort of consistency. But if you told me that somehow Weibo won Worlds, I'd be like, yeah, that tracks. Like, of course. <laughs> of course they did. It's like, it's it has nothing to do with whether they're capable of doing it or mm. not. That it just sense. has to do with like their actual performance would not be indicative of winning a world championship. Right. And then it's not like they're going to win Worlds and suddenly next year be the favorite for winning Worlds. There's a lot of teams. Oh, like, they're so inconsistent. Like yeah, now. like I can't I can't say I believe in Weibo. Like I can say I believe in JDG, even though they have a very hard matchup against yes. T1, right? Like they're a very consistent team. Even yeah. when they like falter, they falter so like gracefully that you're yeah. like, okay, they're they're pretty stable. But yeah, Weibo, no. Yeah. Let's talk about their their opponents. BLG the the biggest upset of the weekend, for sure. Yeah. Taking down Gen G. Basically, before the T1 series, removed the hope from, you know, almost the majority of the fans, it felt like. Because I felt like T1 actually went into the series feeling almost a little bit like underdogs as soon yes. as they started winning, just because the LPL seemed so, you know, unstoppable. Well, it's also because of their performance in... So, like, obviously, the, their performance in summer with Faker not being on the team, yeah, true, but then true. also losing again in LCK finals to Gen, to Gen G in, like, a pretty dominant fashion, yeah. honestly. Um, people were definitely, myself included, being like, well, Gen G are the much more stable team yeah. going into this. I want to get your opinion on Chovy. <laughs> well, just, it's, so, I, I was saying this, and it's so Stop interesting Stop calling him a choker. That's my opinion. Well, there we go. Because his world's results, lost quarterfinals, lost quarterfinals, lost quarterfinals, lost semifinals, lost quarterfinals. Yet, he's the only player ever to make five quarterfinals in a row. <laughs> so it's like, sure, you can say he's a joker because he hasn't won a world championship yet, but he's also been able to get his teams. And some of these were not very good teams. Hanwha Life in 2021, yeah. DRX in 2020. He's been able to get them that far. Yes, he hasn't made it over the the hump, but he's almost like he's that oftentimes he's that superstar player who carries, let's say, an NBA team. He's almost like Nikola Jokic before he won a, a title. Maybe that's a bad analogy, but he's just like That's an interesting one. Statistically, he's always so incredible. Mm -hmm. And they're like, ah, you know, he can win two MVPs, but why hasn't he won that title yet? And then as soon as he got the right team around him, Jokic was able to basically crushed the playoffs last year. I still think Chovy's probably due for that eventually mm -hmm. if he's able to keep up. But yeah, what are your what are your thoughts on does this loss like hurt his legacy? Because there's a ton of people that are calling him overrated or a choker. I mean, I think it does, but it's really frustrating that it does only mm -hmm. because like I thought he performed pretty well in mm -hmm. the series. Like it's kind of how I similarly feel about Knight where like he is still I actually feel like he's such an improved player even though people joke about oh he just stays in lane and like blah 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 like mm -hmm. I think he has a much better understanding of the map and like what he can do for his team than he did when people were praising him for having like 
over 100 KDA in the LCK. I don't know if you remember that when he was on Griffin. And he was oh, just, I think it was, I it, he that. set yeah. a record. Yeah. yeah. And people were like salivating over him. And I understand why they were, but I was like, I don't know. He doesn't really seem to know what to do on the map because <laughs> uh, I'm an asshole. And uh, he's improved so much as a mm -hmm. player that I look at people like him and I look at people like Knight and I know that the lack of uh, a world's title uh, is going to affect their legacy. For sure. Um, I was about to say an international title because, but Knight just got his first set MSI right, this year. Right. Um, but like the the idea that people will just look at that and not actually look at the games is really sad because I mm. don't think it was him choking in these games mm. that, like, you know what I mean? Like Gen G showed up and they look completely lost against BLG. Like right. not just Chovy, but in, first, in, in, in general, in least. those first two yeah. games, they were they looked like really confused yeah. as to whatever BLG were doing. Um, I have a throwback for you, an okay. NA throwback okay. that I think you'll appreciate. Do you remember Ryan Tang's article? I don't know if this meme reached you, but it was Keen is the anti-carry of... <laughs> LCS because he played Urgot and like this, all of so, his yeah, this opponents. This is a different Keen. This is the Australian Korean yeah. Keen. Sorry, this is yeah. K E A N E. Yeah, yes. Keen. I do remember Keen the anti carry because okay. he could like not get slaughtered by Bjergsen. Yeah. And I was like, because he played Urgot. So I was joking that now Yagao is the anti carry because he like yeah. makes so many mechanical misplays and yet. His better opponents, like Chovy and Knight, mm. sometimes don't have as much impact. He's for the most carryable player in the world. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you see that Oriana ult at yeah. Nexus turrets, Jack? Come Got on. <laughs> I mean, he, he bent but didn't break, which is like uh, it's like the uh, saddest uh, thing to say. I don't know if I'd even say that, but I love Yagao. I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to like sit here and, and poop on him. Um, but that, what I will say is that this series, even when Chovy was able to put together like a really good Akali game, for mm -hmm. example, it did seem like regardless of how hard he was trying to carry, Gen yeah. G as a whole just looked really out of sorts on the day. Yeah. It was until, to me, until they started doing the like double melee side lane dive comps yeah. that they looked well. And that fifth game of that series, I really think if you play that specific game out like 10 times, Gen G wins like seven or eight. Like yeah. the fact that at 21 minutes... BLG had absolutely no answers for the split pushing Akali. So with the Senna Nico comp, just started Baron. Yep. Which takes 45 seconds to kill. Like <laughs> those are some of the worst Baron champions in the game. And they're like, we're just going to hit it because this is literally the only angle we have to win the game. But it actually got the TP. It got Peanut there. Yep. They won the fight. It got them the Baron. It started their eventual victory. But that call, just like that specific call, starting Baron that early with that little damage, Eight out of ten times, you're getting, you're losing that fight, yeah. or you're losing all your map pressure. So it's that's crazy. BLG. They're willing. I mean, the the big question on desk going into yesterday, just before the T1 series. Yeah. Um, Shocks asked us, "Oh, what do you think LPL teams like? Why do you think they've been so successful?" Mm. And I do think it's that they are willing to make plays that, like, they're willing to make mistakes, right. and because they make so many mistakes, they don't get as phased when. Things don't go their way, I think, mm -hmm. outside of LNG, because well, they got crushed. Yeah, I mean, that's like a, it's such a hard thing to put into practice, but it's so simple to state as like a game theory thing. You're behind in a game, and if the other team is playing optimally, every flip you're going to take 
is going to be a losing flip. Yeah. But the longer you wait to make the flip, the more losing it becomes. Yeah. So just do it early, right? Yeah. Start bearing just start at 21 bearing. minutes. Yeah. You have Oriana, J4, and Rumble. But if that doesn't work, they lose the game in 25 minutes yeah. and their season is over. So almost no team is going to pull the trigger in that situation, which is really cool. Did you know Elk had never won with Senna in LPL? I had heard that. I'd also heard uh, the shy... Or, Someone had never won with Rumble. Ben had never ben. played. This Rumble. was his first time Rumble. Yeah. yeah. So he used to they, hate it. He used to. He said publicly. Senna. Yeah. He said publicly, "I hate playing Rumble. I don't want to play that." Like something to that effect. Yeah. And then yeah, he brought it out just because it's so strong. Look great on it. So it's I mean, scary team. it makes them a lot more dangerous. It may. It makes me. It raises them a little bit in my estimation yeah. in terms of what they're capable of. Do you have a quick before I move on to the other series? A quick prediction for BLG versus Weibo. You don't need to so, give me a game score if you don't want to. You could just give me a, like a 60-40 or 70-30. Yeah. I mean, I think BLG should be favored. I think mm -hmm. they are looking like the more flexible and the more dangerous team. Mm -hmm. One thing I will say about LPL team kills internationally is mm. it's always funny because these teams just, like everything you think, like BLG, I thought prepped for Gen G pretty well, right? Yeah. Like I thought um, JDG were really prepared going into their series. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought Weibo did prep for NRG uh, pretty well as well. Mm. For these two teams, I feel like they just both feel like they can beat each other. Mm. That it's just going to be like you will see them doing things that you would not see them doing against like Gen G or yes. or even NRG just because they know each other so well. Yeah, that they just feel like they can beat each other's faces in. Yeah. Um. So I think it's going to be a messier series than we've seen from either team. But I do think BLG should be favored. I think yeah. they're they're more flexible. Um. I think their game plans are better. I think their overall team play is a lot better too. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of their coordination. And they also, BLG for half of the year beat everyone except JDG. Yeah. And that includes Weibo. Yeah. They were 15-1 in the regular season. They were super... But guess who beat JDG? Weibo! <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. It's the, circle, it's the LPL circle of suck. Yeah. In, in so if Weibo win and JDG go through, then obviously Weibo world champs. <laughs> Kadriel subscribes to that for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm sorry about KT. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough. I'd never been on a desk where I've been like a fan of the team, mm -hmm. right? Like I've obviously liked NA teams at Worlds because I know the players and like I want them to do well because yeah. that's my region. Um, and also if they do well, it makes my job easier because mm -hmm. less people are complaining about how much NA is terrible. <laughs> but uh, I think that it was weird, man. It was really weird. Being emotionally invested in yeah. things sucks ass. It really does. I was talking <laughs> about this with the other casters when the Energy G2 series was there. It's so hard to be objective yeah. while you're watching the games. And then you need to be giving objective analysis after the fact. Uh, but now that you've had a couple days to marinate on it, how, for JDG, did that series affect your thoughts on their chance of winning Worlds? Did, um, like, is it incredible? Prove it, or is it about the same? It's about the same. I think JDG, weirdly, are a team that has never looked... Like, I know uh, at MSI, people are like, they have the best read on the meta. They are lights out. They are just going to absolutely crush people. Um, but I think JDG are not, like, a peerless team. They're not so dominant. Like, they're mm -hmm. expected, mm -hmm. and they're heavily favored, and they should be. Um, but it's not like there aren't opportunity areas for teams to take advantage of it. Um, so 
I would say they're still absolutely favored, yeah. but, uh, and it didn't change my estimation. What did change was my estimation of KT, because I actually thought, mm. especially after the Tom one, oh, sorry, D plus, keep forgetting. Yeah, D plus. I keep forgetting to say their right name. D plus Kia. Um, after that series, I was like, ooh, KT, I don't, I don't know about this. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, guys. Uh but yeah, they they came in and they put up a really good fight against yeah. JDG. I mean, I thought we were going to game five, Excellent. and and then I just thought like KT were just going to lose that game to like really twist the knife in, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I thought aiming matched up actually pretty well against Ruler. Aiming was yes. so good this year; he was actually able to carry a lot of the games. T one now being against LNG uh, in that final day. I know we talked about it briefly, but a couple of things that they did that I thought were pretty crazy was completely changing their picks from what everyone else has done. Like, bot prio became more important early on with the, you know, Melio being picked twice in the first mm. series on Thursday. But then T1 actually just defaulted back to what they were doing in Spring Split a little bit. Ash support uh, in game two and just really selling out for early game prio, which just worked extremely well. I thought they I thought they played extremely well that series. Yeah. I thought especially their game one draft on Red mm -hmm. Tide was really, really smart because um LNG were obviously expecting the Tom to come through. Yeah. And then it's they like, oh Senanila. And and that's such a cool combination. It's something we've seen Kuma play in the LCK before. Mm -hmm. Um so I mean the it's funny because the game kind of devolved so quickly that like we didn't even get to Game see one, like any exactly. yeah like we didn't even get to see any like really insane Nila plays that much um but I think the this whole uh evolution of drafting that now T1 kind of has control mm -hmm. over I think is not necessarily separate from what we've seen for the rest of the tournament, but again, just like a natural evolution of kind of things that have been trickling in from the LPL teams more heavily having like a stronger bot prio. Um, like, for example, you saw LNG taking out Kate Renata yep. in game one, recognizing like, oh, Kumiyoshi's Caitlyn is insane. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to give him that champion. Um, in the previous series, you saw... Uh, KT recognizing you don't want to give ruler Callista, which mm -hmm. was something that mm -hmm. um, if people don't remember, like that used to be like you have to ban this against mm -hmm. ruler. Otherwise, mm -hmm. he will just destroy you with it. Um, so I think with these better teams, because I know you and I have talked about like, oh, how bait is something like Callista or like yeah. that kind of super pushing bot lane where you yeah, destroy someone because you have push, but then like do you actually know what to do with it afterwards? Yeah. And these teams do know what to do with it afterwards, mm -hmm. right? So um, especially T1, because this was their bread and butter in spring. So if that meta is coming back, there's a reason why um, T1 were so heavily favored in a lot of these tournaments. And mm -hmm. it has been because of this like really fast push bot lane style that they can play. Yeah. It's interesting because I was talking with Wolf last night and uh, I think it was actually... I, I overheard a conversation. Shocks asked Wolf this, and I'm going to try and relay this. So it's a telephone. It's it, it's a doomed translation, but I like the overall point of okay. T1 got upset at MSI. Mm -hmm. They lost to two LPL teams. 
it was surprisingly close against JDG, actually, mm -hmm. if we think back to that series, 3-2, and then they lost 3-1 to BLG. But why were they so favored going into MSI? And part of that was because of how dominant they were early game, mm -hmm. just outskilling people. And then they come into this world championship, Faker's injured for a lot of the year. They go 4-14 four and 14 in game score without him. Through the playoffs, they, like, they manage to win, but they're kind of weird games because they're maybe just team fighting or team playing better. Uh, they even beat BLG with team fighting, but now it's almost like their recent strength is almost like they just took this half pipe throughout the whole year yeah. where they're playing to their strengths once again, even though it's six or seven months later. And the reason it didn't work at MSI is because all these LPL teams were just picking scaling team fight bot lanes and there had been some nerfs to the lane dominant style, like actual mm -hmm. game nerfs that T1 had won in spring so far, and they just like didn't adjust at the right time. But maybe the balance of the game is in a spot for T1 right now where it, it can work, yeah. and they seem committed to being able to do that. Well, I, th I also thought in particular they had really good answers to Aphelios, like especially mm -hmm. in game three. I'm like, I don't know what Aphelios is kind of supposed to do against the range of something like a Varus, right? Yeah. Like, um, and so it's not only about lane prio, but it's also about like, how is this champion that they, we know, we assume they're going to keep picking on blue going to, uh, going to be able to play into our comp. I yeah. also wish both me and Rob were calling for it because, uh, I don't know if you know, but Gala plays Ziggs. Yes. He's a Ziggs player. I saw this on and, Twitter. And so we were kind of hoping in game two with the Jace mid, we were just like, Ziggs, mm, Ziggs, and then he locked into Felios, and we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> we both really wanted the Ziggs. Yeah. So for T1 JDG, uh, it's probably going to set semifinal viewership records because the yeah. story of T1 going up against basically the entire LPL to try and win worlds, but then also Ruler finally winning the LCK, going to China, and then winning back going to back LPL titles. on the Golden Road as well as winning MSI and winning Asia games. Like, it's the most dominant year possibly anyone has ever had. And one anecdote that I heard from a Travis Gaffer interview with Tabe, um, he asked Tabe, and this was after they had just lost to JDG in the Swiss stage, like, what's it like going up against JDG? And Tabe said, every time we're about to face them, I think we can win. Which is like, I, I like the unwavering confidence, but then he says, but once we get into game, either I like when the draft happens, he doesn't feel like he's outdrafted. Mm -hmm. But when he sees the game play out, he says he lost draft. Yeah. And it's because what Tabe says is every composition that JDG plays, they know exactly how to win with it. Yes. So therefore, every composition looks like it makes so much sense. Yeah. Which is going to make it really hard for T1 to beat them with these like early game comps. Yeah. Like the game the game three draft from T1 uh, when they ended up locking the Jace top. Uh, you, you probably have the whole draft written yep. down, but it was it was Varus bot lane, which ended up being a lethal Varus because it had the Renata. And then it was Azir Jace. Yeah, it was Jace R5. Yeah, but I, I actually thought the Jace pick is like the only way they win, but it felt so fragile. Like if anything goes wrong in that team comp, they just lose that game, and I yeah. think we're going to game four. Uh, that type of thing is just going to be so fascinating to watch against JDG, who's just going to seemingly just absorb until they're able to execute their team fights better. Well, especially since, so like we have talked about Weibo um, and BLG, Weibo mainly in terms of like crisp 
uh, the Renata and then also his Milio like mm-hmm. counterpick, which interestingly enough, he did against JDG in the series that they beat them in at the beginning of the beginning of the split. Uh, I mean, getting Botprow against Ruler yeah. seems like it would be the closest closest blueprint you have to beat JDG. Uh, like win bot lane. Yeah, that's just a fun fact. But uh, I think the really interesting thing that we saw from T1 is that kind of return to form from spring and a really good understanding now of if we are going to be seeing these Aphelios comps, if we are going to be seeing like maybe a Jinx composition, Mm -hmm. we have the answer for this because we know how to play with this kind of ranged poke Mm -hmm. or fast, fast push bot lane and then move that around the map to just like destroy your outer turrets really quickly. The interesting thing for me from JDG is that missings for Khan went through every single game. That is strange. And so they were not, like, obviously this bot lane, I just feel has so much more that they haven't shown Mm. because they were just allowed, like, missing was like, sure, I'll play my best champ for another game, you know? Um, And that, I mean, that is also the other thing that's really hard because then you talk about JDG drafts, like, who do you attack? Because they do, like, Mm -hmm. not only do you have to consider OPs, but then you also just have to consider the entire team and, like, what their strengths are and try to come up with a composition that counters what they're going to bring. Yeah. So it's inter- it's really interesting. Yeah. I don't think we're I don't think missing will be allowed Rurcon well, all games. I think they might let it through in game one because if it's a guarantee that they're gonna pick it, you can, you can play get with a that. matchup that you want. Yeah. Right? Exactly. You can you can get Bob Prow, you can maybe get a few plates early, but then you're just gonna be weaker in team fights later. Uh before we wrap up, what are the slogans of the three LPL teams? Oh, it is because I forgot. I knew I know Weibo's is born to win just because yeah. I find it so you told hilarious. Me, you told me you wrote them down. Yeah. So JDG's is make it real. Make what real? I don't know. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> BLG's is cheers for the faith. Oh, that one makes sense. A yeah. little bit. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Who comes up with these? I don't know. Okay. I just know that they're always like on the like when they step out on stage, it'll say the mm. name of the team, and then they'll say their slogan. Their slogan. And every time Wavos comes up as born to win, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the best. Really funny. JDG would almost be born to win at this point without error. But make it real. Yeah. Make make it real makes sense. Okay, I, I never gave my predictions. I think it's it's Monday, so maybe this will change because the games are going to be in five five days from now. But I, I probably have boring predictions. I go BLG 3-1. I think Weibo will take a game. And then I think we're getting five more games from JDG T1. Yeah. Even though it's hard to actually predict a five-game series because game four could just be flippy and it's over. You can um, do the cop-out that I was going to do yesterday, but then we ran out of time because uh, we didn't get to do predictions on the desk. Oh, really? And my prediction was going to be whoever wins game one wins the series. <laughs> Without a game score. And I feel the same way about JDGT1. I think whoever oh, takes game one will will win the series, but I think it'll be five games. I think JDG will win, but I want T1 to win for the story. Yeah. Because you and I were talking yesterday, T1, the most popular team in the world, but then also weirdly might be the most popular team like for Western fans as well. Mm-hmm. And popular doesn't necessarily mean favorite. Like T1 is not the favorite team of North American fans, but I think just because of the longevity and dominance of T1 and Faker, that is such a through line for so many League of Legends fans. And it would be amazing to see him win again. It's like, I compare it to like Tiger Woods playing in the Masters again. No chance of winning for him. But then he does it. 
but then he like he made the cut and that was yeah. this amazing thing uh and it's, it's mainly because people just want to root for him even though he's been the most dominant golfer yeah. ever and that's kind of what faker is people want to root for him because he's the best to ever do it yeah i think when fans have at least i know in north america a lot of the times when fans are like their team is eliminated so like energy is out right like who do you root for? You root for Faker. Or like yeah. my friend who doesn't even really watch LCS anymore, but like tuned in to watch NRG, like he's going to tune in to see T1. Yeah. Okay. Well, looking forward to the semifinals. Any any final things you want to say about quarterfinals or semifinals upcoming? Um, I think it's really cool just generally how draft has evolved. Like, mm. I hope I can talk more about that on the desk because I think the way, I think a lot of people have been really annoyed, I guess, because the unique picks, I think, is down from last from year by like a worlds. significant margin. Yeah. Well, but, also the the game felt like it was the same game from summer at the yeah. start of Worlds. Yeah. But but now it doesn't. And, and yeah. actually, I think there's a really cool story to be told through a lot of these teams' drafts and just the evolution of drafts that we saw even through the four quarterfinals. So I think that's been cool. All right. Well, Emily, thanks for taking the time. We're going to be going out uh, now that the rain seems to be stopping. Uh, we're going to go surfing? Sites. I think we're getting coffee. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I think, I think surfing <laughs> is a little bit ill-advised at the moment. There's signs up that say no swimming. Apparently, they only have lifeguards like three months a year. Really? So you're not supposed to swim here that often. Oh. People still do it, though. You can see them out there. I, I was going to say I would do it. Yeah. Anyway, for those of audio listeners, there's a beach behind us. But for those of you on the podcast, that's going to do it for this episode of JLXP. Make sure you also check out the Let's Go series over on the LCS YouTube channel. And we will see you next week on the JLXP channel and also on the LCS channel. So see you later. Bye.